everyone, welcome to episode 318 of This Is Whole Life, and we are on the big screen, except that, like, well, no, not, we're not, like, podcast-wise, we're not on the big screen. But the sermon series is on the big screen. Well, um, it's not really on the big screen, it's talking about the big screen. Our screen is so pretty big. the topic big. is on the big screen. Yeah, and our screen is pretty big. It is pretty big. I mean, it's not movie theater big, but it's no. for church. I feel like it's, it's a decent size. It's, it's good size. How did it go last week? It was uh, so fun. Tuesday was nights. So fun. Yeah, Tuesday nights are amazing. So we had a great turnout. Um, <laughs> probably my favorite thing was all the uh, teens that decided that they were going to try to sell, uh, be you know, move the uh, <laughs> the the cotton candy and mm. uh, candies and cookies. Uh, their business uh, is kind of like the old lemonade stands, you know, when you used yeah. to set up a little lemonade stand by your house and try How'd to they sell do? it. Well, I think they did all right. Yeah. I think uh, this. I last week I felt like the first uh, movie that we picked, uh, Good Night, Good Luck, was probably a little bit more of a um, an adult kind film? of an older person Personally. would probably enjoy it a little bit more. Probably shouldn't say adult film. You might get the wrong idea. Yeah, that an would older def- person. And, uh, yeah, a person. With more maturity Routine. in life. Yeah. Would it probably, probably wasn't interesting for kids that much. Yeah, it probably wasn't like... Communists and... Communists <laughs> and, uh, and black and white. What is this? I mean, you know, <laughs> we're dealing with high-def TV and we're going back to black and white. What is this all about? So <laughs> This doesn't look like anything I've seen on Netflix lately. No, no. <laughs> That's awesome. So Tuesday night, we yeah. are actually taping on Tuesday. You won't hear this until Wednesday, yeah. where we will have previewed another movie. Because every Tuesday night, this week that we just passed, and two more, right? Or well, more. actually, so this is the tricky part. <laughs> but, are we tricky? Yeah, we, we are. Oh, we're right? being a little <laughs> tricky. So so as you're listening to this, we've already done the screening for uh, Inside Out, which is the the uh, movie we'll be talking about in church this, this upcoming Sabbath. Mm-hmm. And then... Next week, we're going to be doing a movie called Lord Save Us From Your Followers, but we're not going to be showing it on Tuesday night. And the reason is, is because the gentleman who made the movie, Dan Merchant, is actually going to be in town. He's going to be joining us for the screening on Friday. On Friday. So, so no Friday. Tuesday next no week. No Tuesday next week. It'll be Friday. And, and that so, would, so that would be what? If right. it's not Tuesday, which would be the 12th, it would actually be the 15th then? Correct. And okay. so Friday the 15th, 6 p.m., uh, Church Worship Center. Fabulous, fabulous documentary that Dan made uh, probably about 12 years ago, 15 years ago. Mm, it's been a while. Mm, okay. And uh, Dan will be here to talk about it. The That's going to be fun that Friday night. He'll be uh, joining me uh, during the service on, on Sabbath and then... Saturday afternoon, we have plans to have him screen two of his new projects that oh, are cool. that have just come out on Pure Flix. Pure Flix, all right. And so, in fact, uh, at least one of them is the number one movie on Pure, or I shouldn't say movie, number one TV series on, oh, uh, all right. on Pure Flix right Episodic. now. So, yeah, I like that. it is. It's pretty cool. It's a... Uh, it's it's pretty touching. It's it's the it's the ongoing story of a hospice nurse, and and that, if it sounds a little Ooh, heavy, yeah. it, the, Dan does a good job weaving enough humor in there. A little bit you of humor to that, keep you, that, that you, you know, stay slightly above ground. Although keep I wept several times during the pilot. <laughs> so, uh, but anyway, he'll be showing that, talking about that. So it's going to be really fun to have uh, Dan in town to, awesome. to talk about that the following week. And then after that, we'll have two more weeks. After that, we'll have. Again, back to Tuesday nights, and uh, this I think the next one is uh, something the Lord made, another fabulous, fabulous movie, and then the uh, final, the 
final movie of the uh, of the of the summer series will be a beautiful day in the neighborhood. Oh, Tom yeah. Hanks Brent. playing uh, Mr. Rogers. Oh see, my so, god! So this is going to be a, a movie series. I haven't seen any of them, and I feel good about that because you know I kind of wanted to pick movies maybe people hadn't and had hadn't, a chance hadn't, to maybe hadn't seen or maybe not be as popular. But yeah. I had a couple criteria I had to think about when I was picking. Uh, firstly, yeah, it needed true. to be one I felt good showing in the worship center. Yeah, that's always <laughs> uh, good. Yeah, that's that's a good one, and I needed to uh, <laughs> need to be able to preach on it and have. Uh, something that I thought was worth talking about. Uh, yeah. And then that last one, you know, so. Well, if it's Wednesday and you're listening to the podcast and you did not attend on Tuesday night to see the the movie for Inside this Out. week, Inside Out, that is available on Disney+. Plus. I don't know if it's available anywhere else online anymore. Ooh, I believe you can get it on Amazon Prime. Oh, okay. Uh, I just, Might uh, be able to rent I just it purchased it. Yeah. Oh, okay. So, yeah, that's always a... And you can go probably to almost any place that sells DVDs and... I know that's deep. No, probably deep no, I know nobody what's a, what's does a, that anymore. But is that a yeah. is that that box thing that used to sit outside the uh, kind of like a vending know, machine? <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> okay, but you can check out the movie before that because this is another one that I've like wanted to see but haven't. And certainly, Good Night and Good Luck was something that I've wanted to see growing up in Wisconsin. Everyone you know knew about McCarthy and yeah, heard about the it. Junior even if it, senator, even from if it Wisconsin. wasn't your time necessarily, everyone knew about it. And it's something that I didn't get a chance to see it yet, but I'm going to. If you missed the actual scene of the movie, just as a premise, I wanted to read you the storyline, which is a little out, a little outline they give you on IMDb.com, which is the internet Which movie, movie are we talking demos. about right this now? This is Good Night and Good Luck. Okay, cool. That's what we're going to talk about. Sorry. So in the early 1950s, the threat of communism created an air of paranoia in the United States, and exploiting those fears was Senator Joseph McCarthy of Wisconsin. However, CBS reporter Edward R. Murrow and his producer Fred W. Friendly decided to take a stand and challenge McCarthy and expose him for the fearmonger he was. However, their actions took a great personal toll on both men, but they stood by their convictions and helped to bring down one of the most controversial senators in American history. I've seen a lot of snippets from the movie. I've mm-hmm. seen different pieces and parts, but I've, I have not seen the entire movie. But it didn't surprise me when your two themes... And you were going to give everyone a chance, like, hey, yeah. check out your sermon. Do you want to go this way or that, that way? way? And, and like, you know, fill in the blanks. And then did what, what did they do at first? I was at second. Did they did they choose both? I actually, I didn't do that. I didn't give them a choice at you first. I, was, I just knew that they would be able to <laughs> handle both. So. They'd be able to handle both. So, all right, first, you were uh, you were trusted right, right from the get-go. Second, well, we wavered a little bit. Well, I just wanted to make sure, you know. <laughs> I love it. But using media well and standing up for what is right – you started pretty early on with a quote from the film, which was a quote from Edward R. Murrow. And he said, this instrument can teach, it can illuminate, and yes, it can even inspire, but it can only do so to the extent that humans are determined to use it towards those ends. Otherwise, it is merely wires and lights in a box. Good night and good luck. Wow. Wires and lights in a box. It's just stuff. That's a very famous uh speech that he gave to a uh, kind of a broadcasting group uh, association and became known as the the wires and lights speech i believe he gave it in 1958 and uh yeah it's it's such a great be- quote in my mind just because it really kind of hits to the point of when it, when it comes to television the internet or anything else it's really not so much about the technologies what we're doing with it right yeah and uh, and that's the point that uh, Murrow is trying to make there. To think that it can illuminate, it can inspire, 
and probably in teach, but only to the extent that we are determined as humans to use it towards those yeah. needs. And otherwise, it can be it can be used to mislead, to mm-hmm. deceive. It can be. Uh, Aren't to, we glad that his hopes weren't realized, <laughs> or that his <laughs> his fears were not realized? I should say that uh, that doesn't happen at all. So no, no, no. And you know, I I don't know how or when in life you become aware that like. It's not just a story. It's not just a movie. It's not just a podcast. It's not just a TV show. And even though it may be listed under entertainment, all media has an agenda. It can be good. It can be bad. Because indifferent isn't entertaining. Mm -mm. So it has to be one. It really has to be one side or the other. And sometimes, you know, toes will get dipped in either side. Like, oh, we'll do a little bit like this. We'll do a little like this. It may make it more interesting. But when do we... When do we realize that in in life that this all like we are consuming something, and it is going to have an effect on us one way or the other if we're not actually paying attention to the fact that it's telling us to do something yeah. or it's giving us an idea of something? Yeah, I think that a lot of people really kind of internally know there's probably some messaging going on in their media that they're consuming, but I think that a lot of times we don't spend a lot of time thinking about what that message is, or if we do. I think sometimes we go to the the easy answers versus if you really dig in and think about it a little bit harder, what's the real message that's being sent there? And I just think I made the point during second service that even things that seem kind of benign, like uh, you know superhero movies and things like that, all of them have agendas that they're pushing too. Good versus evil, um, which is the kind of the 1950s, 1960s movies. And what's happened as time has gone by using these mediums is we've become more subtle. We've uh, Movies have, have gotten away from like black and white, good and bad, and they've moved into um, what's probably more the reality of our living life, which is that not everybody's all bad, not everybody's all good, and we all have these good and bad things. But one of the things that that can do is, as you you start telling that, it can erode trust in in humanity and oh, in, yeah. in goodness. As you watch this, and as different people that you trusted are portrayed as being good, but also being corrupt, um, it can really shape some things. And so, I think one of the things we really, in particular, have to think about is that with our children, adults are a little bit more able to handle abstract thought, but children can have a real difficult time with it. And so, we need to be careful what we're letting our kids watch. I so appreciated that. That was something that the media that we allow kids to watch, I, I totally agree. And when you had mentioned kind of how you and uh, Rochelle have taken the, you know, your stance on, yeah, we're just, we're going to hold you back from watching things that we just don't think are good for you at this time. They're not, uh, there's nothing beneficial necessarily that, you know, wow, we need you to see this because this is so good <laughs> or, yeah. you know, just really keeping track of what's, what's being viewed. And we've done the same. And I think I don't know why it's always been such a hot button issue. I guess everyone sees it a little bit different. And in our in our day, you know, there were a group that very few of our church members that whose kids we like, you can go to a movie theater if you want. There was the your guardian angels don't go in with you, but you know if you want to take that risk, you go ahead. But yet, at the same house, you could go to the house and watch pretty much anything you wanted as long as it was on VHS. Oh yeah, it was not the content; it was the location. Right. Which one of our friends pointed that out to someone? We're like, and everyone's like, shh, 
don't do that. Don't do that. Do that. We're not going to be able to watch any movies anywhere <laughs> if you convince them of this. But what we put in our kids' minds, and I know everyone's got a different idea of what, what and when, and but when you said screen time and the studies that have come out about that, and then not only screen time, even if it's good screen time, it can be bad, but then if it's other other things that they're just not ready for yet, that's a tough one to undo. And you can see it in so many people whose kids have a lot of access. And you know, I don't it, want to throw rocks yeah, either, Yeah, it's though. a little interesting and a little terrifying, actually, if you think about it. But um, Rochelle saw a study and shared it with me, and I'm trying to remember where it was from because it would be worth sharing, that, uh, that on average, children who view or teenagers who view sex on, on the big screen or in TV, um, they're about two years away from becoming sexually active mm. on average. So the first time they watch it on a screen, they're about two years away. And so, I mean, that's one of the things you want to think about a little bit. If you're like, okay, am I ready for my child to be viewing sexual activity on screen? Am I ready for them to be having sex in two years? Which is, a, you know, this is not an ironclad. This is, right. but, this is, but at the same time, I believe that, you know, the study said that, that on average it was about two years after that. And, and what happens is that if you, if you show, if you normalize and say, hey, this is okay, and this is a lot of people are doing it, and this is all right, it normalizes it for people and, and it normalizes it for your child. And your child, again, at a, at a younger age, is going to have a harder time making the abstract leap that maybe this isn't a good idea for me. And who's right, mom or dad, or is it everybody else? Everybody and else, yeah. Now, on the other hand, let me just say, you know, one of the things that we all know with our teenage kids is we can't really, unless you box them up, never let them visit a friend's house ever. Yeah, you can't gonna... be sure what they're going to ever see. but And this is, again, where it's going to be important as a parent to be having ongoing conversations with our kids where they feel comfortable coming and talking to us about the things they've seen, not knowing that mom and dad aren't going to freak out, that they're going to have a conversation with them through it. Because I'm always reminded of a, of a young lady, I may have even shared her story on this podcast before, who was homeschooled. Uh, their parents went to great lengths to, to shield her from things that, that would be damaging and yet doing her own homework uh, in in the kitchen on a computer her mom stepped out for a minute and she was trying to look up something for a project she was working on and happened to cross porn and from that moment on kept trying to access it um, and, and did and this is somebody again who's who has very aware parents people who are paying attention yeah. who were right there with her. So again, what I would just say, and it and it had a pretty major impact on her life. I guess where I want to go with that is this is where it's important to be having those conversations with our kids. It is absolutely impossible to protect our child from everything that can go wrong in life. And so that's why it's really important to be having those conversations with your children where you're not going to freak out, where you're, I call it the flinch test. <laughs> um, and yep. teenagers and young adults love to do it. They love to go ahead and, and say something and see if you flinch. And if you do, it tells them something. It tells them, ooh, I'm getting a rise out of this person in a way that maybe they want to, or maybe they think, oh, that upsets yeah. Ken. I better steer clear of this subject with him. And when it comes to our kids, we want to be having a conversation on all these topics. And, and instead of making large, blanket, sweeping statements, good to ask questions. Ask them, what do you think? What are you noticing? What do you see out of your friends? 
Do you have friends that are doing drugs? How does it seem their life is going? What's going on with that? And the more honest and sincere versus leading you can make it, those questions, the better. But again, uh, when it comes to movies, when it comes to TV, it's really important that we we live in a world that's saturated with it. So to think that our children are never going to watch this, they're never going to see it, is actually doing them about a disservice. I'll tell you one of the things that I'm struggling with right now. I'm struggling with two children who um, have driver's permits, and I just don't, I, I prefer to drive. Oh, yeah, me too. I just prefer to drive, and yet I know that my children need to get to practice doing it on their own. With me in the passenger seat. seat. Yeah. As adults, we can shuffle off the responsibility of teaching our children how to consume media, how to think about it, how to process it. We can shuffle it off and and hope they figure it out on their own later on in life Mm, or from somebody else. (laughs) Or we can walk alongside them in the passenger seat, allowing them to make some mistakes here and there, but being there beside them. And I think that's really important. I don't think putting it off really helps anybody and and I would like to be the expert in my kid's life, at least with the life experience that I have. And speaking of kids with permits, Ellie and I, over the last couple of weeks, uh, they're in Wisconsin right now uh, visiting grandparents. And before they left, Ellie was really wanting to get her license, but we had all these hours left to drive, like you just Mm -hmm. said. But those hours have been a blessing in so many ways that, you know, her and dad, She's homeschooled, so she sees mom all the time, and she doesn't always see dad nearly as much. And so we've had a lot of time to talk. And before the week before they left, she took her test two days before they left, and she passed first time. Yay. Um, Congratulations, Ellie. Yeah. So I took her all the way out to the airport, made her go through the terminals and all the traffic. We were down by Disney and all the crazy traffic from people all over the world. Like, if you can survive this, you you can do it. You can do anything. And we had one night where we probably, out of the three and a half hours or two, it was just short of three hours, we talked and she just asked me a ton of questions that would have made most people probably blush and run. And I know it would have made my parents blush and run in the day yeah. and very pointed. And I, and we've always had that conversation and that line open and just a continuation. And when you have those moments when you know that no matter what, just always reiteration, like, I don't care what trouble you get into. You are not in trouble with me now. You're old enough. You're six, yeah. you're, you're 16. You're not in trouble. But I want to be the person you call first. I want to be the person yep. that, that's going to give you advice. I want to be the person that helps. And if you're at someone's house, like you said, and there's things that they're watching or yep. things that they're doing. Let let me know if you want me to. I mean, you can call. Our kids me. have a code. You did do they? Yeah, they call and say something. We know it's. We just need to get over there and pick them up. And, pick and them the up. deal is, no questions asked. Here we are. That's it. Let's go. And I mean, well, we can ask. You don't have to answer. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No time is a bad time. Yeah. Call me anytime. Your your number comes through whether I'm sleeping or not. Just keep calling. I will wake up <laughs> eventually. And the next day, she was like, "Dad, that was just like one of the best conversations." Mm. And and thank you. So I think a lot of times we think we're we're depriving our kids of what everybody else has. And yet nothing feels better to me than having my child come to me at 16 still and say, Dad, I need to know about this or what would happen if this happened. Or to me, those are the benefits of what might seem to be helicoptering (laughs) a little or overbearing. Some might look at it that way. I know I used to before I was a parent. 
<laughs> and you brought that up in the message. And I, so Heather and I were both looking at each other like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> and that, uh, I think that was really, really good advice. The idea that, and I think this came from Tim Keller's book. If yeah. I remember the, the idea that the, the parable of the prodigal son was a popular story that was yeah. told by Jewish leaders and that Jesus totally flips the story on its ear, and that is beautiful. Yeah, isn't Like, it? everyone that's expecting this story to be like, all right, we're yeah. going to feel bad about ourselves again yeah. because, you know, you make a mistake, that's it, you're cut off. And then Jesus is like, look, here's the dad running, which, like, would never happen. And and just the contrast between what the what the world says and what Jesus says and, and using— The best part is that Jesus was telling this story to religious leaders. <laughs> right, and so they're like, yeah, 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 we've heard our story before. We know how it ends. And all of a sudden— Boom. It's an amazing thing. And it I, I I hope what people understood out of that was that it's important and it's okay to take things that people can relate to, that they're aware of, that they're familiar mm, with, yep. use those things to impart Christian messages, to pull people towards Christ. I feel like sometimes as Christians, we feel like we have to reinvent the wheel on everything. That's what Jesus was pulling most of his parables that was out of every people's everyday life. You know, when he talked about lost sheep, this is this is a culture where that was a massive part of their everyday life. They were if if you didn't have sheep, you had neighbors who did. It's, right. You know, it's it was very familiar to them. They would understand the 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 messaging behind it, and and in ways that we kind of sometimes miss in the stories because we're not as familiar with it. And so I think it's really important as we as we speak to the world around us, to the culture around us, to be able to to understand that culture well enough to be fluent in it to explain the gospel. Yeah. And that doesn't again that doesn't mean that we need to be watching every everything that comes out and putting trash into our life. But what it does mean is that there are things that I think are are worth spending some time watching. I'll I'll use an example of somebody else so I don't get myself in trouble or judge, but I knew a pastor who, back when uh, John Stewart was doing uh, the Daily Show, you remember yeah. that, mm-hmm. and it was a big thing. Everybody, you know, it was a big thing that young adults, teenagers were watching. And this guy was in his, you know, late fifties, probably maybe early sixties, and he would watch that every week. Why was it? Because he was like in agreement, wanting to be entertained. No, he wanted to be able to speak in a relevant way to the young adults and teens in his church and to understand what they were watching and what was on their mind. And uh, and I think that there's something to that, and and I think that's important that that as Christians, if we're consuming media, particularly this media that we wouldn't necessarily put in (laughs) or shouldn't be putting in for another reason— that if we're watching that we're we're using it in in the context of being able to speak to the world around us to be relevant to understand um, ideas and thoughts that that maybe are a little outside of our norm and what we think. On the other hand, I think we got to be very careful because the more you put something into your life, the more you normalize it for yourself. And so it's really important for us to think about what we're putting into our mind, why we're putting it there, and what we're going to do with it. I was watching a uh, a really um and I, I want to be careful recommending it cuz i i think that there may be uh some language and stuff in there that i don't and i have i've watched two episodes of it so far and they're both been on the movies that that i'm uh that i'm working on but there's a uh, a uh, show on youtube called cinema therapy 
okay. and uh, not Christians. These are not Christians really putting this on. And it was really fascinating to me that the psychologist, what it is, it's a psychologist and a filmmaker, and they basically re- uh, review movies together. And oh, my. They, they do it's... it. They, you know, the filmmaker talks about the creative elements of it and the storytelling, and the psychologist kind of, um, or he's not, a, he's a family therapist. The family therapist talks about the um, psychology in the movies and what's going on. And, mm, yeah. and so it's kind of interesting in that way. And what I thought was interesting, again, secular people, but the psychologist said that when they watch certain movies, when his kids watch movies, he requires them to do uh, what he said was a meditation. Oh. for 10 or 15 minutes after the movie. He said, because what happens is your brain isn't able to switch instantly from the reality of the movie to the reality of that you're living in. And so hmm. it's one of the reasons why if you ever are watching a movie or playing a, a video game where there's a car racing and you get into your car, you have the urge <laughs> to put the the pedal all the way down and start hmm. weaving in and out of maybe that. I've always had that problem. I yeah, well, <laughs> maybe more so than, than normal. <laughs> than normal. But you, I think you kind of know what I'm saying, like, right? The, yeah, the, you, you, you do that, you kind of have this urge to do it. And so, so I thought that was a really fascinating thing that if, if the secular world kind of recognizes that our brain has a hard time differentiating between the images it sees on TV and the reality of the world around us. Maybe that ought to, maybe that ought to be a, a thought, a thoughtful thing for us too to think about and to ponder how that's going to impact what we do. And just going back a little bit to what the, the way Jesus used the parables, and I was like, what a cool way though that he uses this agenda or narrative mm-hmm. starting the story no one's thinking about it and then in the end you just you totally flip that narrative and how easy it is to do and why don't we as Christians why don't we use that more effectively as like one of the things that Jesus did is it because we're afraid of being of the world and not in the world that whole thing and you know the quote that you gave from Ellen White one of the founders of the SDA church that said, you know, here, here's Jesus. He used it because it was effective yeah, and he was good at it. And it just seems like there's such a pushback to media in, at least in Adventism and even in Christian circles, the other side does it so well. And anymore, they're not even, it's not a secret. Yeah. Like it kind of used to be secret. Now it's just out in the open and it's like, we're being obvious with it. And so outside of maybe, the chosen, which has come out and really challenged the status quo of what Christian programming can be about and the quality that it can be in, in writing in in all these things. Yeah. To me, it's exciting. Yeah, it is. But it is, and I'm, I'm thankful for pro, uh, programs like the Chosen that are pushing to, for a higher degree of excellence. I think that uh, a lot of Christian movies are very difficult to watch just from a they're they're sloppy, and, and it's a shame because. We can produce a great product too. Yeah, there's um, a ton of talent. And so, it's always interesting to me that Christian movie producers do very well when they actually put out Christian movies with yeah. Christian themes. Think about from an Advent standpoint. There's, uh, you know, the story of Desmond Doss uh, that was made into a movie called Hacksaw Ridge, Ridge which yeah. R-rated. So we're, we're going to show beware. that at the church. <laughs> yeah, of course. But talking about graphic uh, movie scenes that that movie has them in it and yet it's it's making a, a pretty you know for Seventh Adventists who watches that they'll they'll see a lot of of the belief system of the Seventh Adventist church played out in that movie and one of the beautiful things about a movie is that again it 
for better or worse, the things about a movie is that when you're watching a movie, you're putting yourself in somebody else's shoes. You're you're experiencing what they experience. Uh, you you may not understand this, but your mind has a very difficult time telling between yourself and what's what's happening in that movie. So that's the power of a movie in a story. It's kinesthetic. Kinesthetic means that you something you can touch and manipulate. A movie is kinesthetic because your mind is putting yourself there and you're in that space. So again, this is where we could use, as Christians, we could use these stories to help people understand Christian concepts, to know Jesus better. I think The Chosen is doing a terrific job of doing that. Yeah. And so I think I really commend uh, Christian filmmakers out there who are able to tell a good story and push people towards understanding God better at the same time. We're really uniquely situated in a time and place where it used to be a movie camera would cost hundreds of thousands of dollars, studio gear to do different things, audio. And, you know, here we are sitting in a small room with some some pretty nice microphones that weren't horribly expensive and some gear that for a couple thousand dollars, you can make a podcast that sounds as good as anything in the podcast world. And it's all about content. If you have a gift or if you have a an inkling, if you're a writer or if you're you know, someone who can speak well or you have great ideas about how to make Jesus more accessible, now's as good a time as any for a pretty small budget to be able to make something that can have a really a really large impact. Absolutely. I that was one of the fun things about watching Good Night, Good Luck. I was watching I enjoyed some of the technical parts of it. You're watching these 1950s folks take a film, like literal <laughs> yeah. film, and uh, and and play it off of a, a movie projector uh, onto the walls as they're watching the the interviews that they've done when they're recording them. They've got these, you know, massive cameras with the you know kind of reel to reel on them, and and then I was kind of comparing it to when I worked in television news. Our station hadn't really made the huge digital leap. And I, when I started off, they were still recording on VHS tapes. I mean, oh. that kind of thing. And so they yeah. would, you'd throw them into the machine, capture everything off of there that you needed to capture, and then you would edit digitally after that. But it was, it wasn't like you had a card and you just took it out, stuck it on your computer. And computer. It wasn't even like in the same way that today, if uh, a viewer is taking video of something that's happening, they can send that video to you and you can pop it on the screen and it's it looks it's pretty decent, you know? Yeah. So yeah, to your point, I mean, it's, it's very, I mean, if you have a smartphone, you're pretty much capable of putting out a pretty decent product and that's not a bad place if you're, if you're trying to do something media-wise, it's not a bad thing just to start. I mean, you can you can make some pretty decent movies with just a smartphone. I was curious. I hadn't looked at our overall downloads on the podcast for a while. And in the, the little over six years we've been doing this, you know, we've had over 33,000 listens. As far as podcasts go, I mean, if you listen to something, you know, uh, NPR or something like that, they've got millions of downloads, of course, but we're not NPR. And, you know, we don't really advertise the podcast outside of our our, our congregation and whoever has found it. But that's 33,000 impressions that God has been able to use through the Holy Spirit. And in 65 different countries, which blew my mind, I hadn't looked at it for a while. Last time I checked, it was about 45. Wow. And so just to think about the the little bit that we do here— it made me think about a couple of years, the impact that we can have. 
And I want to get to the questions because we had a bunch of them. But when you talked about standing up for what is right and in his quote about standing up to Senator McCarthy, the thing that really stuck out to me, Murrow admits that it's not that he's always been right or wise, but he attempted to pursue the truth with some diligence and to report it, even though he knew that he was going to be facing off with McCarthy and that there was going to be consequences. Yeah, he was going to be dragged through the mud at minimum. And of course, it was worse than that. And that he chose humility when it would have been easier to, and maybe tactically to win the argument McCarthy style. But instead, he just chose to be the more humble route, keep it real, keep it honest, keep it transparent. And go. I know what I'm getting myself into, but this is right and this is wrong. And I'm going to go for it. And I thought that the humility that he showed there by just choosing that as his as his route to take against McCarthy, it was probably even more effective just because of the stark contrast between yeah. the two styles of them. And I thought if that was yeah. a lesson that we could take out of there, that maybe uh, all of us could uh, yeah. use a little bit more of probably. Yeah. I think that we ought to all be a little bit thoughtful about the f- the fights we choose to pick and why we decide to pick them or to choose to walk away from them. And Murrow had thought this one out. He He wasn't just doing this randomly or to create a news story. He was right. doing it because he saw a genuine issue and decided tactically what the best way was to to deal with that issue. I think we'd all be wise to think about that. There are things that really are worth standing up for, and you can do it in a kind, Christ-like way. You don't have to be mean or aggressive, but you can be straightforward. You can speak truth. And you can do it gently but firmly, and I think that's important. I think people need to be able to to really speak up, and they should be speaking up for things that they see that are wrong. You're not doing anybody any favors if you see something that's really messed up by not saying something. Yeah, there's a lot of unpopular takes, and sometimes, like you said, that's just a a matter of do I want to go there and is it that important? And if you decide that it is, then you do have to take that medicine when it comes your way. So questions from the response. Let's see what we have here. Anonymous asked, what are some ways we can identify if we are mature enough to make wise, discerning decisions regarding what we watch, both TV, social media, and what we're listening to? What are ways that we can know if our kids or nieces or nephews, how can we know if they're mature enough? Yeah, that that can be a little bit difficult. I don't know that it's a black and white um, answer to it where it's like, do this, don't do that. One of the things I would encourage is that if you're in doubt about it, don't. If you're not sure if you should be watching it, don't watch it. If you aren't sure if you're up for that maturity level, don't. If you're not sure if your child or niece or nephew, and what I would say is if it's not your child, you best ask their <laughs> parent or guardian what their opinion are and not and, and respect it. You don't have to agree with it, but respect sure. it when they give it to you. That's super important. And if you have certain issues, it's probably not a good idea to be viewing them on a regular basis on on the big screen. And I, when I say issues, I'm not trying to be vague. I mean, there's just a lot of different issues. Point is, if you're watching movies and TV, be thoughtful about what you're putting in. And if it's something you're struggling with and it's being normalized in that in that, don't maybe maybe watching that's probably not a good thing. Might not be for you. You know, there's things that Rochelle can watch that I can't. I just it doesn't for me. I watch it and it. it creates problems for me. It doesn't create problems for her. And there's sure. things that, that I can watch that don't bother me at all. 
and don't jump into my spiritual life, that for her, that's just a no-go. Yeah, no, for sure. And I I think what you said before about, you know, you don't have to agree with everyone's decisions. You can disrespect it and go, that's not for me and, and move on. But you know, FOMO is real sometimes too. I think that's the other part where it's like, well, everyone else is watching it and it's probably pretty good and I'll probably be fine. So ah, maybe I'll do it. And, you know, maybe that's where you should probably be. Maybe be the most worried. I'm always worried yeah. when FOMO comes and it's like, that's not a good reason really yeah. to, to tempt fate or anything else. All right. Ashton wants to know, how do we approach truth changing such as science and the human experience evolving? Well, yeah. And you say truth changing. Truth doesn't change. It stays the same. Now, our understanding of what truth is can change. And so that's that's a really interesting question because if we're talking about where you, where you change the truth to a lie, that's a problem. Whereas if you have a greater understanding of truth that changes what you thought originally, that's a good thing. I think it's interesting that, uh, I guess this is going to be the week I quote Ellen White a bit, but one of the more interesting comments that she made that I've always thought was fascinating was that she said that truth is progressive. And that's her quote. That's And I'm I'm saying this off the top of my head, and so I, I can't tell you exactly where it's found, but maybe if Randy's kind enough, he'll, he'll Google it and <laughs> uh, put it in the show notes or something. But Ellen says that the truth is progressive, and what that doesn't mean is that, that truth changes, but what it means is how we understand the truth does change to a certain extent. And we, we all should be able to understand this if we, if we think back to when we were four years old and the way that we understood the earth and understood things that were going on there. As you've gotten older, you've understood realities and consequences that you didn't understand at four years of yeah. age. And and that doesn't mean that anything changed as far as the ultimate truth, but what changed is how you understood and interpreted that. And so I think that what we have to do is we have to always be willing to study the Bible and to understand what's happening in the world around us, to, to be open to learning and to growing. At the same time, we have to be cautious not to throw things out unnecessarily, and to be very careful about when we do change our ideas drastically on something. Why are we doing that? Is it because everybody else is doing it? Or have we actually studied it and really understand it and know why we're making those choices? And I know that's, I mean, those are some journeys that I've been on in my life yeah. recently where there's things that I'm, I'm looking into and studying and trying to understand more that I, I've, my, my context and my idea has changed on those and things. to be patient with people who might yeah. be a couple a or, couple of steps behind us in their understanding or or many steps or behind yeah yeah and that's you know be patient be kind be loving be grace filled yeah that's awesome all right richard wants to know what are some practical questions we should ask ourselves when consuming media so we can avoid it just being entertainment and maybe what you said before from that youtube yeah thing you know just kind of decompressing afterwards and kind of going past and thinking about what did we learn? Was there anything positive? Was there negatives? How am I, and, you know, maybe breaking free of it a little bit? Yeah. I think one of the questions to ask yourself is why am I watching it? Ooh, there you go. Why? What What am I hoping to get out? Am I, am I looking to be entertained for two hours? Is that I'm just filling time for two hours? Am I hoping to learn something that I didn't understand before? Is there a, you know, I mean, there are going to be people who will laugh at this, but my wife and I love to watch Survivor. And one of the reasons why we love that show after all these years is because there's there's these human dynamics going on that we love to to analyze. Why did this person do that? 
how does that apply in the world that we're living in? How does that apply to what's going on in my own life? Do I see do I see people doing the same kind of behavior? How do people create alliances with each other? What 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 are when are people willing to lie? When are they willing to not lie? And different people have different places. And so for me, one of the reasons I actually enjoy is because of I enjoy analyzing the social situations in there. For me, it's not just entertainment. It's it's like it's it's a leadership seminar. It's how to get along in a group of people seminar. It's it's an interesting thing. And um, you can judge me if you want for that one. I've but, never seen but, the show, so I can't oh, I can't uh, oh, I can't judge you at all. Okay, well I guess that's all right. <laughs> I started watching the second season. I was working in television news. I started working in television news, and it was it came on right after the news was over, and that was it. it just that we we had to promote it. We were wasn't Richard the guy in the first season that won? Wasn't yeah. that I I remember when that was a big that was, deal. That was season one. But I don't yeah. know anything else. Tina won season two. I do believe Tina from Survivor uh, from okay. Australia. Uh, Survivor Australia. But anyway, point being, why are you watching it? What are you hoping to get out of it? Are you learning something from it or is it is it really empty calories? And there are going to be some people who say you should never eat empty calories. I'm not one of those people. Yeah. After it's over, what did I learn? What yeah. messages were sent to me? How am I going to apply the things I learned in there? How am I going to not apply some of the things some that the I things. learned in there? <laughs> I think those are all questions that we should ask ourselves. Alicia wants to know, how would you suggest facilitating a truly open discussion without emotions interfering and dictating the course? I think emotions are always going to interfere and dictate to a certain extent. So <laughs> come watch Inside Out. <laughs> if you didn't already watch the, it, yeah, if you, <laughs> I hope you came and watched it, Alicia. And if you didn't, um, watch it uh, at another time. But it's going to talk about how how emotions are an important part. So but it's how we control those emotions whether rather than letting them have control over us. And so how do you have a conversation, a healthy conversation, without emotions taking over? Again, you have to identify the conversation you want to be having. You need to ask yourself what you're hoping to get out of it. And then you need to go ahead and be curious and as opposed to trying to win a debate. If you want a great book to read on the topic that you're asking about, Alicia, I highly recommend Crucial Conversations. Uh-huh, uh, the book has been out for a long time, but in spite of that, our um, pastoral team, our staff at Whole Life Church are actually reading through that book together right now. It's a good one for how to take and have crucial conversations when the stakes are high and it matters, but doing it in a way that doesn't let emotions run the conversation it's okay to feel emotional. I mean, when somebody attacks a belief that you hold dear, you're going to feel something. Yeah. But it's what you do with that feeling that's going to matter. All right. We've got a couple more, but two of them are going to be a little bit longer. So let's, uh, we'll go with Triple A asked, Do you think the SDA community is declining as the world becomes more accessible? Well, um, no, the Seventh Adventist Church is actually growing as the as the world becomes more accessible. It's just not growing here in the United States. Um, it's growing in a lot of other places because the world is becoming accessible. Other places are hearing Seventh Adventist beliefs, and and people are uh, being proselytized. And one of the questions I think we ought to be asking ourselves here in the United States is, is the reason why things aren't growing here, is it because people genuinely in the United States just don't resonate with what Seventh-day Adventists believe, or is it because we have a problem with the way that we are 
sharing what we believe? Are, mm-hmm. are we marketing it? Are we packaging it in a way that's relevant? And and I my suggestion is that a lot of things that we tend to do, when Seventh-day Adventist Faith began, we used some pretty innovative techniques, and we were pretty innovative. We were one of the first denominations to really heavily use radio when it began. Same yeah. thing with television. And I feel like there's been somewhat of a decline in the way that we've used uh, some of the more recent mediums, although the Seventh-day Adventist Church does employ them. But I'm afraid that sometimes we use some of these new mediums, we're putting old wine into new wineskins. <laughs> wine so we're taking yeah. a message and not updating it for the current generation of people. Now, don't hear me wrong, I'm not saying change the truth, but I'm saying that sometimes the stories need to change, yeah. that the way that you tell the story needs to change and needs to be updated. And so those are all things I think that we should think about. And I would say maybe by some of the stories need to be told by people that might look a little bit different. That don't the, look like somebody from the 1800s? Well, or even the 1980s, you know, yeah. uh, moving forward. And But, you know, those are— I don't know, Randy. I like the 1980s. Well, That's my, you know, where my childhood was spent, so I'm not don't argu- pick on me. I'm not arguing much, with don't much from the 80s. Don't pick on me for but. looking that way. <laughs> <laughs> All right. This is going to be a little bit longer. So this is a multi-part because this was a conversation happening within the text or right. within our chat. And this person uh, read, uh, logged in as none and— don't know if this is a male or female, so we'll just, we won't assume. But none asked or commented, this sermon has caused me to question the stories in the Bible and being Adventist. And there was a response, how so? They responded, what I believe in was all a lie. Hmm. And then afterwards it was, you know, can we go you know, dig a little further? And he said, of course. So did he really feed the multitudes, meaning Jesus? Did he really heal the lady with the blood issue? It really caused this person, obviously, to think about these things. And what do you think? Well, firstly, I'm sorry that if it's caused you to question your beliefs, your belief system, and in particular, wanting to be an Adventist, because uh, that's not necessarily what I'd want. At the same time, if you haven't been thinking about some of these things, I'm glad you are, Yeah. Uh, because you should. I think that sometimes we take the Bible and we skip over the parts that don't make sense or that we feel uncomfortable with. And so one of my my beliefs as a pastor is it's my job to encourage you to wrestle with some of the hard questions in the Bible. Absolutely. That said, I, I do believe Jesus fed the 5,000. I believe that the miracles are true. I believe the stories that he told, he really told them. I think where none began to be concerned was that when I suggested that not every story Jesus told was a true story. Right. And what I want to be clear clarify, none, if you're listening, was that the truth behind that story, that was true. But Jesus was not afraid to use a story, to create a story, to impart a truth. And that's not being dishonest, that's just using a story to make a point. And I'll go ahead and use an example of that, um, that I've used it at times with certain groups of people, that there's there's a old joke that's been modified to work for Seventh-day Adventists that says a Baptist preacher a Methodist preacher, a Catholic priest, all showed up at the gates of heaven, and St. Peter let them in, and he said, would you guys like a tour of the place? And they said, we'd love to have a tour of the place. So he starts showing them around heaven and showing all the massive things, the angel choirs singing, and as they, after a while they start to approach this large, large 
white wall that goes way up high in the sky. And St. Peter goes, okay, I need you to be quiet while we kind of come through this area. And, and they said, well, why? And he said, well, because on the other side of that wall are the Seventh-day Adventists, and they think they're the only ones here. <laughs> and and so when I tell you that story— I've never heard that one before. When I'm telling you that story, it's not because I believe that St. Peter meets people at the gate when they die, because I don't believe that. I believe right. that people sleep and they rest. But in order to make the point that I'm wanting to make, which is that Seventh-day Adventists are not going to be the only people in heaven— this is an effective way of conveying that through a story. Right. It's not me saying that story is not true, but the point behind it is. And so, um, so none. I, what I'd encourage you to do is to wrestle through some of these things that you find in the Bible. The Bible is full of truth, the Bi- but the Bible is not the truth. The Bible tells us who the truth is. It's a person. It's not a book. It says Jesus Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is the truth. The Bible has minor errors in it that don't equate to the Bible being wrong. They're just people took wrote something down a little bit differently than and made some typo errors. And what's important to understand is the Seventh-day Adventist Church has never, ever, ever taught that the Bible was had no errors in it whatsoever. We've always taught that the Bible was given to human beings, that God inspired human minds to write down truth in that person's time and that person's way and their understanding of things. And so when we look at the Bible, we can have faith in it. We can believe in it. And at the same time, if a word is spelled wrong, we don't have to feel like God doesn't know how to spell or somehow there's some error there. It was a human being who made an error, not God. And so that's what I would just encourage you with. When you look at these stories, when Jesus tells the story, and for those of you who, who may feel a little irritated that I'm telling a story about people <laughs> going to heaven and whatever, yeah. just keep in mind, Jesus told a story about a rich man who dies and goes to hell, and a poor man who dies and goes to the bosom of Abraham. I don't believe Jesus told that story because that was a true story, but because he was trying to make a larger point and that was the most effective way of doing it. And his his listeners knew what he believed. They knew what he believed, just the same way that those of you who are Seventh-day Adventists know exactly what I believe when it comes to how what, a, what happens to a person when they die. Yeah. I believe that they rest until Jesus returns. And so that's where we're, it's going to require a little bit of abstract thought to be able to understand and process through those things, but that's the beauty of these parables is that Jesus uses them so that we can use our abstract thought to to get to the bottom of what he's really trying to teach us. Yeah, I mean, there was robust conversation, and none. I hope you are listening, and I hope that that answers your questions a little bit and, and uh, gives you a little comfort as you wrestle with those, because I really appreciate the fact that since we've We've kind of migrated our our main viewing to the website, and people do join us on Facebook as well, and and YouTube. But the conversations happening in our in our chat every week are are really uplifting. And Sharon had a couple of comments through, and she said, "Parables do not have to be true stories; they are illustrations. Sometimes they can be illustrations only. And God can give us discernment and guidance in our choices. What edifies and builds up and leads us closer to God and others is what we should be watching. Lots yeah. of good comments and. 
One of our whole life reflections asked, how do you balance love, grace, and kindness with standing up for what is right? And I just, I thought if there's something that we can just kind of just remind ourselves this week, how do, how do I, how do you, how do you balance those things with love, grace, and kindness when you're standing up for what is right? And, and maybe that might be the most important thing we take away is just to make sure that before we engage, we do have a clear understanding of why we're, re- why are we engaging and if, if we can't balance love, grace, and kindness with it, maybe we should wait this one out until we figure out, at least on this subject, how we're going to do that. If there's anything else that you we should have added and we should have not said, said, let us know by voicemail or text 407-965-1607. Always happy to take those as well. And podcast at wholelife.church. I really liked what Ken said towards the end of his message. He said, none of us like it when someone disagrees with a position we hold sacred, yet That disagreement can be the iron that sharpens iron if we will engage thoughtfully. If we have the truth, we have nothing to fear. And if we have not the truth, we have everything to gain. Sounds very Yoda-like, and I like it. (laughs) Very, very wise, very wise. If you have the truth, there's nothing to fear. And if we have not the truth, we have everything to gain. That's a win-win. Win-win. All right. We are on to the next God on the Big Screen, Inside Out. That's the... Disney, Pixar, we've already talked about yep. it a little bit. And I haven't seen that one either. So, and I'm not going to be available tonight because Tuesdays is my edit night. Come on, Randy. Because, man, that's going to, what time? Six o'clock and then Six we'll be o'clock. done like eight. Oh, yeah. man, that puts, that's going to put me into the early a.m. hours with editing if I don't, well, if I come to I see I guess it. I can excuse you. So make sure that if you have anything you want to say about this week, again, make sure you reach out to us next week through this whole series. I think there's going to be a lot of, and and I think it just proves the point. This is more questions and comments that we typically get on a given week. And I think it's that same thing like you talked about. Media, movies, they make you think things. They yeah. make you process things. And that's what we're talking about. And I, I really like the way that it moved everybody to just kind of question things and, and really wrestle with those tough questions. So that's going to do it for this week. Inside Out. If you can't make it to church, try to see it before the message. And then we will be back next week, as always, with episode 318. We'll see you guys all next week. Thanks and have a great week. Three nineteen next week, right? Did I say three eighteen? Oh, this is reading. <laughs> uh, anyway, have a great week. <laughs> <laughs>